millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today, in my little uh, feature that I'm running uh, periodically, uh, I'm going to talk again about protest music, and this time I'm going to talk about the American folk singer Woody Guthrie. Previously on this topic, uh, I talked about Billie Holiday and Strange Fruit, and the idea that Strange Fruit nineteen thirty nine was the, the kind of the beginnings of uh, the crossover between protest music and popular song. But um, Woody Guthrie came from, if anything, a slightly longer history of um, protest music, one that had its roots um, not just in the Great Depression but deep into the um, the social struggles of, of the nineteenth century. Um, the creation of modern America is, is really uh, the, the soundtrack to that is um, the, the protest song of the developing working class movement uh, of the 19th century, which had been successfully brought to heel by um, the first decades of the, of the 20th. Now, it's often criticised, but Howard Zinn's uh, People's History of the United States um, for its, its various kind of teleological um, problems, still does have a very, very interesting and in-depth journey through the uh, the U.S. labor movement, um, and it's it's well worth uh, well worth a read. Um, but today, what I'm going to do is talk about Woody Guthrie in in this context. So um, Woody Guthrie um, was the, the the voice of the uh, the Great Depression, um, the the travelling protest singer, um, the the person who spoke truth to power in um, the most explicit manner, who sung in the the, the voice of the American working class from the, um, the Dust Bowl and who rode the railroads and who um, lived the, had the kind of the lived experience of poor people 
during the 1930s. He was born in 1912, born Woodrow Wilson Guthrie. Uh, his parents named him after the uh, presidential candidate of that year, soon to become uh, president. Um, and his, his father, Charlie Guthrie, had stood for the state legislature and was a, a kind of an impassioned anti-socialist um, and saw that um, the left um, and this sort of notion of socialism could threaten the uh, individualist uh, ideas, uh, the, rugged, the rugged individualist ideas that seem to have built America successfully up until this point. Um, he, the, his father was uh, a campaigner uh, against um, interracial marriage, which he thought socialism would bring. Um, and Woody Guthrie's mother, Nora, um, died relatively young um, and a tragic fire which killed the line, killed uh, Woody Guthrie's older sister uh, Clara um, and burned his father um, saw um, his mother uh, consigned to a mental asylum and the family essentially uh, dis- disintegrated um, Woody Guthrie was uh, had a kind of mention a childhood of abandonment and uh, grew up um, as the kind of um, poor um, urban childhood in um, Oklahoma. But uh, as a teenage boy, he moved to Texas with his father um, and there became, in, in the local library, this kind of autodidactic learner and spent um, many, many hours educating himself in every topic from philosophy to psychology to, to history. Um, and was one of those kind of uh, curiously bohemian working class figures um, that um, could be found uh, in these kinds of circumstances, highly educated, but with um, little to kind of associate himself with higher social rank or even with um, his, his peers who often had no interest in the kinds of um, pursuits that Woody Guthrie was, was engaged in. Um, he was a very rootless, drifting individual, and um, he he married young um, and had a, um, a a child with his um, his best friend's sister Mary uh, Jennings, um, and but the, it was the the Great Depression that seemed to kind of uh, leave him uh, as a kind of a, a drifting figure. Um, in 1935, um, the Dust Bowl. Um, devastated uh, Pampa in Texas where Woody Guthrie was was living Um, his sister recounted and this is from Dorian Linsky's book 33 Revolutions uh, a Minute Um, it was pitch black all the way to the ground they were saying it's the end of the world now this was the product of four years of drought um, and the end of the oil boom uh, in uh, Texas um, and was um, jokingly referred to by uh, journalists as, as the Dust Bowl. And there was a, a flow of Oklahomans and Texans um, to, um, and uh, other Midwesterners to um, California for um, where there was presumed there were better opportunities. And they were referred to obviously as, as the Okies. Um, Woody Guthrie had begun to write songs at this point, and um, the crisis of the Dust Bowl gave him something to to write about and to to record music about. 
1936, uh, Woody Guthrie began to ride the railroads um, that he was always, it was forever was going to be associated with. And he would cross the country and uh, entertain the, 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 the various kind of internal American diaspora who he travelled with, um, with uh, country songs and folk songs and ballads and hymns and, and uh, gospel music. And it was during this, these journeys that he encountered a great deal of prejudice, particularly against Oklahomans or Okies, uh, who uh, in California were the subject of uh, police harassment. They were told to go home. Um, and during his um, journeys across America, he encountered uh, the story of the, the, first, the first American um, protest singer, um, Joe Hill. Uh, Joe Hill, very much the, kind of the, the predecessor of, um, of Woody Guthrie. Joe Hill had been born Joel Hangland, and he was from Sweden. In, he was born in 1879, came to America at the age of 23, and changed his name to Joe Hillstrom. He joined the um, radical left-wing industrial workers of the world, um, a, a revolutionary anarchist uh, trade union, um, and their uh, position in 1910 was quite militant. They were looking to form one giant workers' union and quite ineffectively, really, uh, used uh, strikes and industrial sabotage to try to achieve this goal, but nothing really came of it um, when the uh, IWW were pitted with the powers of uh, American capital and the American state. The IWW had composed its own songbook, the Little Red Songbook, uh, which were uh, parodies of Salvation Army hymns um, inverted with a kind of a socialist message. And these were sung at picket lines, and um, they, the lines were um, there to kind of uh, question religious ideas, uh, such as there being a concept of a heaven, um, and to present uh, the real important struggles as being here on earth. Uh, Joe Hill um, made his name in 1911 uh, by um, writing a song uh, about uh, the famous railroad um, hero Casey Jones. Um, and the song was referred to, uh, the song's title was Casey Jones, the Union Scab, um, the kind of uh, sacred cow slaughtering thing that is, is really designed to um, uh, bring about immense controversy. Um, the most famous song he wrote was There is a Power in a Union. Now, if you're a fan, a fan of the uh, protest singer-songwriter Billy Bragg, you'll have heard his version of this uh, this song is um, the Billy Bragg version is actually completely different from the Joe Hill version. It's a, a, a reworking of, of the concept. Um, in Utah, um, where Joe Hill uh, arrived um, to help the Western Federation of Miners um, in their protest against the copper industry, um, two masked men at the same time that Joe Hill was there shot dead. A Utah grocer, uh, John G. Morrison, uh, and his son um, uh, in a, a, a robbery um, on the 10th of January 1914. Um, Hill that night was also treated for a gunshot wound, and the doctor called the police. Uh, Joe Hill was tried in June, 
and not given a fair trial because of the press coverage surrounding him. The, the press had got downwind of his inflammatory songs and the flimsy circumstantial evidence surrounding Joe Hill led to his uh, conviction and uh, a death sentence. Um, there was international outcry about the fate of Joe Hill and particularly the fact that the jury had been uh, influenced by the fact that he was a socialist. Um, the um, uh, president, Woodrow Wilson, brought in a temporary stay of execution. But when this expired in 1915, uh, Joe Hill was executed by firing squad. And in the aftermath, 30,000 mourners um, crowded the streets of Chicago uh, in order to pay, pay their respects. One uh, report at the time uh, wrote, What kind of man is this whose death is celebrated with songs of revolt and who has at his beer more mourners than any prince or potentate? And that- imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That should perhaps have told the journalist something about um, the uh, tensions in American society at that time. Woody Guthrie's daughter, Nora, um, said, I think Woody learned socialism on the highways of America. I don't think he learned it from a book. And this certainly appears to be in keeping with his, his story, um, much as when you study the, um, the journeys of, of George Orwell to, to Spain and back, much of what happens to George Orwell in his life is the political education of George Orwell. And perhaps that's true of anybody, really. Dorian Linsky writes, Returning to California in 1937, he stopped in on his cousin Jack, who called himself Oklahoma, and had aspirations to ride the coattails of the singing cowboy craze, uh, a thoroughly phony but enormously popular Hollywoodization of country music. Jack landed the pair, an audition at the KFVD station, 
run by the fiercely liberal J. Frank Burke, and the Oklahoma and Woody show was an instant hit. When Jack got cold feet and returned to working in construction, his friend Maxine Crisman, who Woody nicknamed Lefty Lou, took his place. So uh, Woody Guthrie managed to gain his, his first place on the airwaves through chance and happenstance and, and, and opportunity. And it was the, the meeting of um, a developing uh, interest in folk music, this um, singing cowboy um, thing, and Woody Guthrie's own personal lived experience um, that was um, the, the, the kind of the uh, the, the intersection of those things creates um, the possibility for, for Woody Guthrie's message, uh, not dissimilar to Billie Holiday, as, as previously discussed. Dorian Linsky also writes, Guthrie knew that Burke hadn't hired him for his appreciation of Omar Khayyam and uh, French Impressionism. There was an appetite in Los Angeles for a regular guy from the heartland. He didn't dumb down so much as funnel his wit into more expected forms, a hillbilly with a brain. Three times a day, Woody and Lefty performed songs, read out requests, chatted about this and that, and dispensed what Woody called his cornpone philosophy. So Woody Guthrie was good at understanding what it is the audience wanted to hear, uh, a down-home cowpoke type thing, but also integrate that with uh, his own personal critique of American society, his own um, philosophy, his own take on the nature of the Great Depression and the nature of class and poverty. These more political ways of seeing the world, I think, perhaps uh, didn't emerge uh, initially, but um, gradually throughout his career, he gained more and more opportunities to speak uh, more directly and explicitly. Ever restless, Woody Guthrie was eventually dispatched to um, the migrant camps uh, across America for Okies and the like um, of the um, FSA, the Farm Security Administration, um, which administered uh, migrant um, agricultural labour. And Woody Guthrie uh, reported journalistically from these camps um, and uh, met uh, people uh, and uh, the, the, the burden of, of immense poverty. Um, it was at this point he wrote songs like Dust Bowl Refugees, Dust Pneumonia Blues, and Dust Can't Kill Me. Um, and shortly after this, um, Guthrie had his first interaction with the uh, American Communist Party. Um, the party had hired him to um, play at a celebration for um, Tom Mooney, who had been released from prison after 22 years for alleged terrorist offences. Um, and the uh, party, which had been ruthlessly suppressed during the 1920s, was enjoying quite a resurgence during the 1930s, um, the apparent collapse of capitalism and the rise of fascism uh, across the world had um, given the American Communist Party a new lease of life and, and interest in it. The communists who were most forward-looking, people such as um, the party leader Earl Browder, saw opportunities through folk music and popular music to become more integrated into the mainstream of American society. And Woody Guthrie became uh, a more authentic 
voice of the people, supposedly, or that's how he presented himself. Um, the it was in in fact part of almost the marketing of uh, Woody Guthrie. Um, he didn't wish to be actually associated with being a communist, um, as he uh, wryly said at one point. I ain't a communist necessarily, but I've been in the red all my life. Now, I've talked a lot in the past about the fellow traveller movement of the 1930s. These were the non-communist intellectuals and artists and thinkers and writers and um, uh, poets and playwrights who, uh, whilst they were not in the party, were deeply sympathetic towards the Soviet Union and um, all but followed the uh, the party line, up until the point of you know, having a British... Fabians, for example, like Sidney and Beatrice Webb, the obvious examples, who were um, dismissive of Stalin's purges. Um, there were um, American fellow, uh, uh, fellow travellers, um, particularly people such as Paul Robeson, who visited and stayed in Russia and um, were uh, refused to ex- acknowledge the truth of uh, the famines and the gulags and all that kind of thing. Well, Woody Guthrie falls curiously into this um, into this arena. So he was never a party member, but um, he was extremely loyal to the Moscow uh, party line uh, throughout much of the 1930s. Um, he was, uh, during the period of the Nazi-Soviet Pact in August 1939. Woody Guthrie, unlike the many who fled the uh, Communist Party of the USA and uh, denounced it, Woody Guthrie stuck to the party line. He wasn't a member, but he stuck to the party, you know, supporting the party line anyway, um, that Stalin had invaded the eastern part of Poland in order to protect and liberate the Polish uh, workers and peasants from the uh, oppression of the Polish landowning class. And the reality was obviously monstrously different. One of the news segments on Woody Guthrie's show um, was uh, shamefully and shockingly naive on the subject of Stalin and presented him as a heroic saviour. Um, the show was axed and Woody Guthrie's career seemed to be in crisis. Up until the point on the 3rd of March 1940 when Woody Guthrie met Pete Seeger. And Pete Seeger is a name perhaps you know who would for really the rest of the 20th century become the authentic voice of uh, the American uh, left folk movement. The extent of his influence is that he uh, his work is an article of faith for Bruce Springsteen who indeed I think, recorded the Seeger sessions uh, in about 2000 or something, um, and uh, the, the the kind of the, the tradition of people's music flowed from Woody Guthrie to Pete Seeger. Seeger himself came from musical and left-wing royalty. Uh, his father, Charles Seeger, had been a, a university academic um, who moved to the left, seeing the uh, poverty uh, of Americans in um, California during the First World War, and was eventually forced out of his um, uh, nice position at Berkeley University. Um, and Pete Seeger himself was a, a dropout from Harvard who was really looking for where his life should be going. And meeting Woody Guthrie was something of a, a revelation to, uh, to him.
Now, the story of Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie, I'm going to continue uh, in a, a forthcoming podcast because it's a, a kind of an, an involved one and I don't want to um, really try to cram it into the last three or four minutes. Um, suffice to say that um, if you're looking in terms of kind of the, the legacy of particular artists, it, it's, it's very easy to focus on, I don't know, the Beatles or David Bowie or somebody like that. But... Um, underpinning um, an enormous amount of um, Western music, or perhaps even more, you know global music now, are the, the kind of the the, the songs are where of uh, Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and others, which were the, that intersection of um, folk music and mountain music. I guess it would would have been. And the, um, the, the the songs of the industrial working class that had developed um, from the, the union movement of, of the 19th century, when these things coincide with the recording and music publishing business, which is always looking for uh, to manufacture and to simulate a kind of authenticity, uh, then you get um, a voice of protest reaching the airwaves, it's kind of a protest that you know, a capitalist system can easily accommodate uh, and indeed kind of uh, market and, and, and um, mass-produce. So there's no, no, real, no real danger to, to the man particularly. But you see this replicated again and again throughout the, uh, the, the 20th century. Um, you need to look at um, know, John Lennon's working class hero or anything by the clash, uh, and away uh, you, you, you see this, this phenomenon again and again. Um, anyway, I'm going to leave it there, and we'll continue with the story of Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger in the next week or so. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.